church, are we awake today? This section is. Let me try that again. Are we awake this morning? All right. I, I, I always kind of start off with a little bit of energy. Um, like you said, my name's Corey, and I get to pastor that church you just saw the video of called Zeal. Everybody say Zeal. Zeal. Yeah, nice. If you don't know, Zeal actually means a passionate enthusiasm for a cause. So you can't be like Zeal, right? That's, that doesn't work. Uh, so everybody say Zeal. Now, now, why we called our church down in Jamaica zeal um, is twofold. One, because it's actually commanded in the Bible. You Bible scholars, I know you knew this. You immediately connected it. I know you all have the book of Romans memorized, so that was easy. But no, I'm just kidding. None of us do. It's all right. But in Romans chapter 12, it says, as Christ followers, we should never be lacking in zeal. So in other words, if you've said yes to Jesus, if you're following God, no matter what you're going through in life, you should wake up with a purpose, a joy, some energy, enthusiasm that we get to be alive. Can I get an amen? amen. Woo! I love it. I love it. And the second reason is because Jamaicans are amazingly energetic and passionate people. So I was like, this is perfect. Um, I am not Jamaican. Some of you are like, duh. No. <laughs> Uh, but I've been ministering down in the Caribbean for over seven or eight years now. And over that time, God has just kind of nipped my heart with some amazing people there in Kingston. And if you weren't here last time, I got to share at local church just a quick vision of what God's doing down there. A lot of times when we say Jamaica, people think of like a sandals resort, you know, like Michael Scott on the beach in Ocho Rios or Mo Bay or something. Anybody been to Jamaica before? Um, how many of you, maybe you honeymooned in Jamaica vacation? Yeah. That's a different mission, but it's good. Um, <laughs> it's still God-honoring. I like it. Um, but, yeah, so we're down there. We're not actually in one of the beachy cities. We're right in the port city of Kingston. And the video you just saw, one of our gatherings, um, one of the guys that goes to our church, uncle's cousin's mama's brother or whatever, actually owns that hotel. It's one of the tallest buildings. And so he hooked us up with their rooftop for one. So I was like, oh, we're going to get this on film. And I got, like, some drone footage and stuff. But we bounce around. Right now we meet once a month, and we started in February. So we've been meeting once a month with the hope of 2020, launching a full-on every Sunday kind of church gathering. And by the grace of God, we've already broken 300 people in our gatherings, which is awesome. Yeah, we can praise God for that. And I say that to say thank you to you guys here at the local church. If you don't know it, um, Torn mentioned it earlier, but the local church here in Grand Rapids is a part of what's called the Water's Edge Network, WN, Water's Edge Network. And we have churches all over the U.S. and around the world, and Zeal is a part of that. So if you give here, I know this is a generous church, but if you give here, you are actually helping people get saved in the Caribbean. You're actually helping people get saved in Indonesia and Cambodia. And actually, um, just yesterday, I was in Ukraine, in Kiev, that's another country in Eastern Europe. Um, I preached at our uh, sister church, Overflow Church in Benton Harbor. Don't know if you've ever heard of them. I preached there last Sunday, hopped on a plane, and went to Kiev all week to partner and minister with our church plant over there called Transformation Church. Now, Transformation Church has been around for a long time. Pastor Peter is amazing. He's been leading that. They speak Russian and Ukrainian, and I do not. And that is one of the hardest languages. Anybody speak Russian in here? Yeah, exactly. Anybody speak Spanish in here? Any Spanish speakers? Oh, hola, bienvenidos, iglesia. Como están? No, muy bien. That's good. Uh, anybody speak Patois? Any Jamaicans in the house? Yeah, Michigan. Okay, cool. Um, in Jamaica, we say Wagwan. Everybody say Wagwan. 
Yeah, that's, they speak Patois, which is like a crammed together English. So Wagwan is like, what's going on? So they'd be like, Wagwan, church, everything I eat. That's like, what's going on, church? Everything's all right. So now you all speak Patois. You can come down on a mission trip, specifically in December, January, and February, right? That's when you want to come to, you feel called to Jamaica in that time, I'm sure. Um, but we would love to have you down there. But I was over in Ukraine getting to see what Pastor Peter and the Transformation Church team had going on. And they have planted 12 daughter churches out of Transformation Church. And, I mean, and these churches are like, there's one that's in uh, an area of Kiev that has 100,000 people within one kilometer within one square kilometer. It's just all high rises. Kiev is a very densely populated city. And so they've been strategically planning pastors. Some of these pastors were former drug addicts that went through drug rehab Christian programs that we support in Water's Edge Network. And they've come out and they planted house churches that have turned into churches. By the way, I talk kind of fast. Um, and they gave me a lot of coffee because I'm running on like four hours of sleep of two nights. I told you I flew in from Ukraine yesterday, and there's no hotels in Grand Rapids this weekend. I don't know if you know that. Um, my hotel messed up my booking, and so I got here, and I was like, well, I'll just book another one. But y'all are sold out. I love your city. It was great. Um, it's a good sign. People want to be here. But I was over there, and it was just amazing to hear the stories of these pastors that are loving their city of Kiev. Um, one in particular, they all stood out. They all had phenomenal stories. But we sat around this little table um, with o Oda and Olga. Um, I call them the O's. It's, it's this couple. And uh, we got to sit down and hear their story. And they were ministering at a successful church in eastern Ukraine. But then when the war broke out, because I don't know if you know this, but Russia and Ukraine aren't quite getting along right now. And it's occupied territory. They had to flee with their family. And they had to leave everything, their livelihood, their church, their friends. And they just got out of there. Well, Pastor Peter heard about it. And he said, hey, why don't you come plant a church in Kiev? And so he supported them and planted their church. And them and their six children came over. And literally their church is about twice the size of this stage. It's a room that seats about 40 people, and they pack 65 people in there every Sunday. They're already praying about growing but, uh, and about building a building. And so we were sitting with them, and, and I got to hear Olga just kind of talk about their journey. And she said on New Year's Day, she said she was holding their youngest baby while it was crying, wondering how she was going to feed that baby and their six kids, not knowing what to do. And she was angry with God for all that she had left. And she was like, God, I don't have anything. What's going on? You ever have those moments where you're just kind of upset with God? And she said God told her, check your heart, Olga. Your husband didn't die in the war. You have all your kids. You have a new church family, and you still have Jesus. You have everything you need. And she's telling me this. And, I, and they live in like a two-bedroom apartment with six kids in Kiev, Ukraine, ministering to 65 people. And she was like, and I stopped and just praise God for how good he is to us. And I'm so glad he had me check my heart. And I'm like, uh, check your heart, check my heart, right? Like we got air conditioning and carpet and nice chairs and paved roads and cars that got us here. We even have free coffee. Like we are so blessed today at the local church to be alive and breathing and where God says much is given, much is expected. And so I just wanted to bring that word to you guys that you have brothers and sisters around the world worshiping with you today because of your generosity. So look at, look at the person next to you and tell them you're awesome. Just tell them you're awesome. You are. You are. You're awesome. Some of you had no idea. Oh, it was a really side note on Olga. It was funny. She said people ask them often, were you, ever, were you able to bring your valuables with you when you left occupied Ukraine? And she said they always laugh and look at their kids and count one, two, three, four, five, six. Yes, we have all our valuables. And you parents know, like, isn't that good? It wasn't about the cars. It wasn't about the stuff. It was about what really matters in life. 
And so again, I just, just gracias, thank you so much. Spasiba, that means thank you in Russian. I learned that this time. Um, but thank you for just giving to something bigger than the local church, but also for what God's doing right here in Grand Rapids. And with that being the case, we're going to jump right in. Um, we're going to go to God's word today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter what? That was mediocre. Um, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. That wasn't the greatest response. Um, I'll just be tough on you. Tough love's good love. But uh, here's the deal. If you were here last time, you may know this. They have a Bible for you if you need it. Just raise your hand. It'll be on the screen. It's like a cheat sheet. Um, But if you don't know this about me, I believe, and I think Torin would agree with this, uh, we believe that preaching is best when it is a dialogue, not a monologue. Um, In other words, when, when the sermonizer, when the preacher says something you like that touches your heart, or you agree with in any way, it helps when we vocally respond. Um, for several, yeah, let me just try this. I'm going to say something you should like, and you just give me any positive affirmation you want. Um, you all win the lottery today. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the loudest you've ever been in church, some of you. You were like, come on, somebody. Um, some of you weren't that excited. You were just like, whoo, it's okay. Um, you're all like a step above the chosen frozen. I appreciate it, but we're going to get you there. Um, I believe that preaching is best when it's a dialogue for several reasons. One, I'm not as secure as Torin, so I need the affirmation. Two, um, the Bible actually says that there's the power of life and death in your tongue. And so often throughout the week, we say negative things or think negative things, and they come out of our mouth. And it helps when we come in here and we affirm God things, positive things. And one of the ways we can do that, if you grew up in church and you speak Christianese, you can give us a good old-fashioned amen. Everybody say amen. But we really don't say that anymore, right? Like you don't order nuggets at Wendy's and they're like, would you like barbecue sauce? You're like, amen, right? We don't, we don't do that. So you can just be real. Like if you hear something you like, you can be like, yeah, God, or like that's what's up, or right on, or mm. Like it all works. It's all positive. But, but to take it a step further, uh, and this is the little sermonette, the free sermon before the sermon. I won't charge you for this one. But in the book of Acts, it says that Paul and Silas were in prison. And it says they were responding to God regardless of their circumstances. And they were praising God and they were affirming what God was doing in their lives. And because of their praise, it says that their jail cell was opened and everybody else's cells were opened. So what does that tell us? It tells us that your response to God can't just set you free. It can set the people around you free. So today, you may need to respond not just so you can be set free, but because someone next to you needs to be set free in the name of Jesus. So you just going, yeah, may stir them up, and they go, yeah, that is good, that is right, and God would do something in their life. So if not for you, for them, those around you. And at the least, if they're falling asleep, it wakes them up. Cool? Awesome. So we're going to jump in Luke chapter 5. If you hear something you like, just let me know about it. Um, again, I come from Jamaica, so they'll, like, they'll shout me down. Um, I was preaching one time, and this lady stood up, and she goes, preach your white boy. And I was like, I'm trying. And that was the pinnacle of my preaching career. We're going to start in verse 17, and one more caveat before we jump in. What I love about this story is it deals with some people that are really messed up, um, like us, right? One of my favorite things about the Water's Edge Network churches and about the local church here in Grand Rapids is we all just don't put on airs. Like, we come just like, like, look at your neighbor and be like, you jacked up. Like, you're messed up. Tell somebody. Tell them. Just be like, you're messed up. Some of you ladies are waiting to tell your husband that all morning. You're like, I have a list. Can I, can I, yeah. No, but not to, like, downplay anybody, but we all know we're messed up, but we also know we're amazing in Christ. And it's just nice when we can come and just, like, kind of, like, take off the layers. We don't have to act like we have it all together. I like to say everyone is a little messed up, jacked up, shacked up, or locked up in some way, shape, or form. 
And when we just, you know, kind of admit that, we can put that aside and really let God work in our hearts. And here we see how someone that's pretty messed up has a pretty massive transformation in their life because they meet the Jesus we're going to talk about today. So we're going to start in verse 17. This is a familiar story. If you're ready, say, yeah. Nice. That's some bass in it. It reads, on one of those days, anybody ever had one of those days? <laughs> she was like, Tuesday, yes. Um, yeah, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. So it says on one of those days, he was teaching, who was he? Yeah, some of you really, if you don't know the answer in church, just say Jesus, okay? It's always Great chance that's the answer. But here it is. It's Jesus. He was teaching in a house, and a bunch of people were there crowded in. And the power of the Lord was within the hill, verse 19. And behold, some men were bringing on a mat a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. We're going to pause there. How many of us have heard this story before? Anybody? Oh! I love it. That's good. Many of us grew up in church or read the Bible. I say that because I get to preach to people often that did not grow up in church. They don't speak Christianese and they don't have a Bible. And so when I tell stories like this, some people are hearing it for the first time. But many of us from the hands I just saw, you've heard this story before. It's a familiar passage if you did grow up in church. But what I want to do for the next few minutes, moments, oh gosh, that caffeine's hitting. This is going to be good. Side note, I do speak fast. I said that, but a trick. The sermons are online, so you can go online and you can slow it down on the playback speed if you miss something. I've done that. Um, but, but one of the awesome tools that God puts in our tool belt for studying God's word is personification. It, it, it's personifying the story. It's putting yourself in the narrative. And so for the next few moments, I just want us to act as if we were, we were here. Because I don't know if you know this, this is not a parable. Jesus often preached in parables. Parables are made up stories to convey a biblical principle. So Jesus would be like, the kingdom of God is like a farmer, or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It would be the equivalent, like, a lot of people think you, think you have to give, like, agrarian metaphors to be biblical. The only reason Jesus spoke about farming and stuff like that is because that was the modern-day economy of the day. Those are the best examples he had to relate to people. Today, he would be like, the kingdom of God is like the stock market. Or he would be like, the kingdom of God is like Facebook. And then he would give you an example. So Jesus was a modern-day interpreter of some big principles. But here, it's not a parable. It is not a made-up story. This really happened. It is a historical account found in more than one of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like, this actually, like, this took place. It would be like if you saw it on somebody's Instagram yesterday. So as we read this, I just want to jump into it as if it actually happened. So imagine. Imagine you're one of these guys, and you have a friend, and your friend's paralyzed. Now, when a character doesn't have a name in the Bible, I like to name him. Helps me remember it. I was going to call him Paralyzed Paul. There's already a big Paul in the Bible. He's very popular, but I like alliteration, but we're going to skip that for now. So we're going to call him Tim. Everybody say Tim. I know there's a Timothy in the Bible, but it's Timothy, but this is Tim. I don't know why, but I just think Tim's paralyzed. So anyways, so th these guys have a friend named Tim, and Tim has a problem, right? Tim has a problem. He is paralyzed. And so they see the problem, and they, they come up with an idea. Like, we want to get Tim and his problem to the problem solver. Tim needs healing, so we want to get Tim who needs healing to the healer. In, in other words, these guys... Get a vision. Everybody say vision. And the vision is, what if Tim could walk? 
What if Tim's life was entirely changed and he was healed by meeting Jesus? The vision was get Tim to Jesus and see if Jesus can change Tim's life. That was the vision. And it was a huge vision, right? That is miraculous. That is life-changing. That would change his career. That would change his future possibilities of having a family. I mean, that would change everything from Tim. And so here's some guys that got a vision, and the vision was huge, right? But what I love about this big vision is it started so simple, so small. Because what did they do? It, it, it says right there in the story. So they had a friend. He had a problem. Want to get him to Jesus. The vision is big. Get Tim to Jesus. And imagine, again, you're there, and you're like circled up, and you're like, all right, Tim, we're going to try to get you to that Jesus guy we've been hearing about. Gary, go get your truck. And Gary's like, those aren't invented yet. And he's like, okay, um, Kyle, grab your mule. And he's like, dude, I ain't balling like that. I can't afford a donkey. And they're like, what are we going to do? And then one of them's like, what about Tim's mat? Get the mat he's always laying on. And so, like, one of them runs. I don't know if they go to Tim's house or, like, go to another corner or go to their house. But it said they put him on a mat. And this is the actual mat that paralyzed Tim laid on. Not really. This is from Torrin's living room, I think. Uh, but they get a mat. Everybody say, get a mat. Get a mat. And why is that pivotal? Because it's so simple. So they run and get the mat. And they're like, Tim, get on the mat. And Tim's like, I can't. And they're like, oh, yeah. And then they put him on the mat. And they pick up their corners and they go. But, but here's why I point that out. Because often in life, God gives us a big vision, right? Change the world. Save the city of Grand Rapids. Like this huge vision for our church, for our careers, for our families. And often we get intimidated by the enormity or the grandeur of God's vision. And it paralyzes us. Like Tim. We can't take steps towards it because we think it's too big. We can't achieve it. But it actually does beg the question, what is God's vision for your life? Have we ever stopped and asked that? Hey, God, what's your vision for my life? What, what's your vision for my marriage? What's your vision for my family? What do you want us to look like in the next five years? If you're dating, hey, God, what's your vision for this relationship? The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that without vision, people perish. Okay? Without vision... Destruction, failure, death. One cool thing about every biblical principle is you can't break a bi biblical principle. You actually break yourself against it. But every biblical principle is like a seesaw. If it's true one way, then the antithesis of it is true the other way. So if without vision people perish, that means with vision people flourish. With a vision for your marriage, it will flourish. With a vision for your family, it will flourish. For your career, for this church. We will flourish when we walk in steps to see the vision God has given Pastor Torin come to pass. And so the first thing we should ask is, God, what, what is your vision? And then the second thing we should ask is, what's my mat? What's the first simple step I should take to see that vision come to pass? I, I know in my life there's been many times where I've just felt the pressure to have a vision for my life or for the next part of my life. I, do I have anybody in their 20s in here? Anybody in their 20s? Yeah, this is a good church. It's got a lot of young people. Anybody in your 30s? That's me. Why did we raise our hands less high? 30s, you're like, I miss my 20s. Any 40s? Any of my 40s? Yeah, loud and proud. Anybody, we'll just do this, 50 and older? 50 and older? Hey, let's go. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody almost dead? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. To die is gain. It's good. Uh, 
But yeah, I remember back in my 20s, specifically like at the age of 22 when I was graduating college. Many of you may be able to relate to this. You remember when you're like coming out of college or right in your early 20s and you feel the pressure to figure out the rest of your life? You're like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? It's kind of funny now because some of us in our 40s and 50s were like, dude, I still don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Like, but we put so much pressure on that. And I remember I had graduated college and I was working a summer contract job putting on like these large Christian concert events all over the U.S., and um, we were touring, and we were uh, just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, doing this event up on Lookout Mountain at Covenant College. And the whole summer, I was praying, God, what is your vision for my life? I was just praying, you know, like, God, show me, show me, show me, because I'm going to be broke after the summer. Like, I don't know. And so I was just praying that. And one night in worship, in the worship set, I felt like God spoke to me. A side note on that, I don't know if you know this, but that's why we sing in worship. Sometimes you don't even need the sermon. Sometimes the verse in line two of song two is exactly the message God wanted to get to your heart, that he can take you through the valleys, that he can push you through the mountains, whatever you face. That's why we sing, even when we don't feel like it, to align ourselves with the truth that is God's word in song. If you're like me, I can't sing at all, but man, I'm shouting it down because I just want God's truth in my life. But I was in one of those worship moments, and I was worshiping, and I was praying, and I felt like God said, okay, Corey, if you want to see the vision I have for you, I want you to go out to the lookout point, and I'll show you what your future looks like, what the vision is. Side note on that, too, um, I just want to be clear. God has never audibly spoken to me, um, and I'm kind of happy about it because the Bible says that his voice creates stars and universes and shakes mountains. So I think I'd mess myself if I heard him audibly. Um, and sometimes we say that. You'll hear preachers say that, like, God spoke to me. Um, and then if you're sitting out there and you've never heard the audible voice of God, you're like, wait, so does that mean I don't know God or I don't hear from God? No. Um, if you've said yes to Jesus, you have what's called the Holy Spirit. And what that means is there, there's this thing on the inside of us, God's presence on the inside of us, that though we may not hear it audibly, we can hear it spiritually. And we can listen to God. That's why prayer is a dialogue. We should talk and then we should listen to God. So I was listening. I felt like he said, go to the lookout point. I'll show you the vision. And so I walk outside of this auditorium in the middle of worship, and I kid you not, it is the foggiest night I've ever seen in my life. Like, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face, just fog. And there's all these teens and kids running around. I'm, like, tripping over people, trying to go to this cliff. So I know don't go to a cliff when it's foggy, but God told me to, so I was doing it. And so I go to this cliff, and I, I would go there, like, every night. It was the most beautiful view. There was just, like, this big rolling green forest down the hill. Then you could see downtown Chattanooga at night shining and glimmering. And then you would see the, the mountains in the distance and all the mountaintops and the starry. I mean, it was just a breathtaking view every night. So I go there. I'll show you your future, your vision. So I go, and I kind of feel my way to the edge of the cliff, and I sit down, and I hang my feet over because I'm an adrenaline junkie. It's going to kill me one day. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, all right, God. Show me the vision. And he's like, this is your future. And I was like, fog. Thanks, God. Right? Are you ever just like real with God? Like you ever get mad at him? You're just like, really? Really? Some of you are like, can you do that? Yeah, read the Psalms. Like David was like bipolar. It was amazing. Like it's like therapy to read the Psalms. David would literally be like, I love you, praise you, God. Kill my enemies. I want to die, slaughter them. You're the best. Like that's the Psalms in a nutshell. And so it, it helps when we're just real with God. So I was like, God, what do you mean this is my future? I can't see anything. And in that moment, a verse came to mind. This is why we read scripture and memorize it. We hide it away in our hearts because God will use it to speak to us. And a verse came to mind, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith, not by sight. 
And in that moment, I felt like God was saying, hey, Corey, you know that just beyond this fog, there is a beautiful rolling green forest representing all of the trials and, and temptations and lessons I want to teach you. You know there is a shining, glimmering city full of people to, to reach, representing all the cities around the world that, that we want to reach for the kingdom of God. And you know there are mountaintops with heights that you cannot even fathom, that all lies beyond just this fog. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. So trust me take the first step because all I could see is what was right in front of my feet. And so my prayer changed. It changed from, okay, God, I got the vision, big things, but it changed to what's my first step? God, where do you want me in this next season? And I would encourage some of you right now, today, may your prayer life change a little bit. Hey, God, instead of what do you want out of my entire life, God, what do you want out of this next season of my marriage, out of this next season of ministry, out of this next season of scholastics or career? Like, God, what do you want out of the next six months or 24 months from me? And help me to be faithful in that. Help me to get a mat. Somebody say, get a mat. Get a mat. But this gets fun. Woo! I love, I love the word of God because this is like my favorite part to preach, but it's the hardest to hear. Because it says they throw Tim on the mat, and they all pick up their corners, and they start to walk. And we don't know how far they walked. We, like, assume it was around the block. But it could have been, like, five miles. They could have been walking for five days. And this isn't modern day. There ain't no Yeezys or Nikes. They are in sandals on dirt-hard roads in the Middle Eastern sun carrying Tim, just trying to get him to Jesus. And it says they get him all the way to the house in verse 19. And behold, some men were bringing on a mat a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. And I highlighted two words, and I want you to read them with me nice and loud. It says, but finding, oh, come on, say it like you mean it, but finding, nice, good job, guys finding no way to bring him in, finding no way. Now, you Bible scholars, you know this, but those of us that are normal, I'm going to teach you something. The Bible was not written in English. The Bible was actually written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and a little bit of Aramaic. And here, Dr. Luke that wrote this down was writing in Greek. And the original Greek word here is so poignant. The original Greek word for those two words, no way, you want to know what it translates as? It means no way. It's a very accurate translation. Actually means impossible. So imagine you're these guys and you carry Tim all this way and Tim's excited because he's going to meet Jesus and his life may get changed and you have this big vision and you get all the way there and all of a sudden you come face to face with opposition. Because every vision, if it's a God vision, will face opposition. Somebody say opposition. opposition. Yeah, that one's always quieter. We're like, vision. Opposition. We don't like opposition. We don't like it. We always face opposition. I, I would challenge some of us today, if you have a vision for your life and you're not facing opposition, it's probably not a God vision. Because a God vision should always big, be bigger than you can accomplish on your own. Because we're better together. He wants community. He's designed us for it. So we should have to team up, partner up, which was always difficult in and of the, itself. And then you will face opposition. But again, imagine you're these guys. You get all the way there and they set Tim down. And they're like, hey, huddle up. There's no way. It's impossible. Like, who's going to tell Tim? Gary, you've known him the longest. You tell him. I, I don't know. They're like, draw straws. Like, what? They're sitting there like, somebody's got to tell him. And I just imagine, like, the one guy has to come over to Tim, and, and he kneels down. He's like, hey, Tim, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know you hear the crowd. Yeah, yeah, we're finally here. Yeah, Jesus is right over in the house. Yeah, no, I know, I know, I know what the vision was. I know, I know you're excited. But, hey, Tim, look, honestly, man, we, there's just no way. There's no way we can get you in there. But hey, Tim, we, um, 
We almost got you there. We almost did it. Now, again, that's just speculation. I don't, I don't know if they actually said that, but I know the feeling had to be there. And that word almost, I think, at least in my generation, the millennial generation, it's like a disease. Because often in life, we settle for almost. We think almost is adequate. And it leaves us just short of what God wants to accomplish in our lives. I mean, I grew up uh, in a competitive family. Um, I grew up very competitive. I'll just compare. Do I have any competitive people in the house? Yeah. I mean, like, real competitive. Like, if we played paper, rock, scissors, and I lost, I would need a minute. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, and, and I've repented, and I've grown through that a, a decent bit. But, like, when I was younger, like, I was hyper, like, capital C competitive. And I grew up playing sports. I know you can tell. And um, that's, again, insensitive to laugh at things like that. Um, but I grew up in one of the sports that I know you can tell I play. I played basketball. And I was a point guard. Duh. Um, and so I remember, like, there would be one thing, you know, in sports when you just get whooped, when you lose, like, you know, 70 to 10. It's just like, you're better. We should quit. We get it, right? But, no, never quit. Yay. Um, so, but, but what was worse than that to me was when we would lose by, like, one point. You know what I mean? Like, there was this one game my senior year where we were playing our rivals, and we lost, like, 64 to 63. I was fuming. And so I'm in the locker room, and I get changed after the game, and I come out, and I never forget. My friend comes, like, prancing up to me, and she's just like, hey, what are we doing tonight? And I just, like, look at her, you know. And she's just like, why are you upset? You play a good game. And I was like, I just didn't say anything. She was like, what? You almost won? Ooh. Woosah, right? Bad boys. New one coming out soon. Um, that is not official local church endorsement of that movie. Um, <laughs> Amen. I don't even know what movie that is. Uh, but like, I, just everything in me, because that's like, that was like hearing, if you were just a little better, if you would have just hit one more shot, if you would have practiced a little longer, if there was just a little bit more effort, you would be experiencing all the things that come with victory, but you almost won, you loser. Like, that's what I heard. But again, in life, I think we settle for almost, like I almost invited them to church, but I was busy. I almost took them out to lunch, and I almost asked them how they're doing, but I got a, got a little uh, sidetracked. I almost signed up to serve. I almost, and we think it, we like pat ourselves on the back for almost. Well, I'll do it, I'll do it. But, I, but I've found in my life, God's blessing doesn't come on the other side of almost. But what I love about God's blessing is he's blessed us as his people to not be an almost people. Because Romans actually says, if you've said yes to Jesus, you are not an almost conqueror. The word of God in Romans says, if you've said yes to Jesus, you are more than a conqueror. Everybody say more than. So anytime you're faced with an almost situation, remember, you are not an almost great mother. You are more than a great mother. You are not almost a good husband. You are more than a great husband. You are not almost a great coworker. You are, you hear me? We are more than if we have Jesus. And you know why? Because Jesus wasn't an almost savior. He didn't almost die on a cross and he didn't almost raise from the grave, but he was a more than savior and he more than died on the cross and he more than conquered death and raised from the grave. And because he's more than, so are we. That was good, and one applause. I know the rest of you wanted to. It was in there, and you almost clapped, but you didn't. Next time, you'll more than. It's all right. <laughs> I love it. But what I love about these guys is they did not settle for almost. I just imagine they're like, somebody's got to tell Tim we almost got him there, but there's no way. And then one of them was like, no. 
no, we did not walk all this way to not get him inside. We're going to figure this thing out because opposition is always an opportunity for creativity. Opposition is always just an opportunity to get creative. If you can't go through the front door, find another way. And again, imagine they're circled up and one of them's like, okay, okay, brainstorm. Uh, what if we tunneled in? No, that would take a week. Not going to work. Then another one's like, we could set the building on fire. Then everybody would run out. No, that's mean. Like, you know, they're just like brainstorming. Like, what are we going to do? And I just imagine Gary's like over on the side and he's just staring at the house. And he's like, hey, guys, what if we go on the roof? And they're just like, shut up, Gary. Gosh. And, you know, and they're just talking. And he's like, and he's like, no, but for real, like, if you look, I think we could, what if we go on the roof? And they're just like, what is he saying over there? And they're just trying to think. And then finally, you know, Gary's just like, guys, what if we take Tim on the roof and put a hole in the roof? And they're just like, that's crazy. <laughs> grab a corner, right? <laughs> and they just grab Tim and they bring him to the side of the house. And it doesn't say there's a ladder and Tim is paralyzed. So they're like hoisting him. That had to be so uncomfortable for Tim, right? Like they're pushing him up there. Side note, you want to experience healing, you'll always have to get uncomfortable first. And so he's pushing him up there. Oh, that was a better word than some of you even really. Oh, that's a whole sermon. Come on. But they're pushing him up there. They get him on the roof. And then imagine you're in the house and you hear people walking on the roof. Like this is pre-Santa Claus. So you're just like, what's happening? And then these guys start digging a hole in the roof. Imagine if you're the homeowner. There's no progressive or Aflac in these days. No farmers. It's like there's no insurance. So it's just like, what's happening? And this hole gets dug in the roof. And then I love it. Dr. Luke, who's always very technical, like the guy that wrote this, it says they lowered him down, but he doesn't mention rope. And so I'm always just like, were they like holding the rug? And then they were just like, uh, drop him. He's going to get healed anyway, right? <laughs> Good luck, Tim. <laughs> Can't get much worse. <laughs> you know, like, like, I don't know. I don't know. Sorry, I'm insensitive. I apologize. So he plops down in front of Jesus. Because there was vision, and they faced opposition, but opposition is just an opportunity for creativity, and they got creative, and they didn't do it the way everybody else was doing it. They had to do something different to achieve God's blessing. There was vision, there was opposition, but if you push through the opposition, it won't be long before the vision comes to fruition. Everybody say fruition. And fruition is when a plan is actualized. It's when a dream becomes reality. It's so powerful. When a God vision comes to fruition, it is one of the most powerful, anointed, blessed things you can step into. And many of you, I don't know if you know it, but if you're sitting in this room, you're sitting in the fruition of a God vision. The local church wasn't always here. Local church didn't even exist a few years ago. But God gave a vision to Torin and a group of people, and they stepped out in faith, and they faced opposition, and then some people got around that vision and did whatever it takes and got as creative as they needed to. And now we sit in the vision, in the fruition of a God dream. We build and we build and we build on top of that. And wherever my piano player is, you can come out and make it sound spiritual. Um, yeah, you know the preacher's going to wrap up when you hear the keys. Unless he's charismatic, that means he's got an hour more. <laughs> Some of you are like, what you want to see? <laughs> Leave you hanging. Uh, but I love this. So they put Tim before Jesus. Oh, this is so powerful. Verse 20. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. That is a theological bombshell. I do not have time to break down. But just suffice it to say, Tim did not pray for his sins to be forgiven. 
Tim did not pray the sinner's prayer. Tim did not recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior. But Jesus said, because the faith of your friends on that roof, your sins are forgiven. It begs the question, what does our faith do for our friends? And so he looks down at Tim and he said, hey, your sins are forgiven you. And then he had some haters in verse 21. The scribes and the Pharisees began questioning, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? You can't forgive sins if you're not God. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your mat and go home. And immediately Tim rose up before them and picked up his mat, and he went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. When a God vision comes to fruition, no matter what the opposition you face, it will always leave people glorifying God in awe of what he can do in our lives. What I love about the fruition there, though, did you catch it? Jesus worked two miracles. They came to him for one miracle. They just wanted to see old Tim be able to dance. They wanted to see him get up, not be paralyzed anymore. But Jesus worked a greater miracle first. Jesus looked at Tim and said, I heal you for eternity. That was the greater miracle. In other words, when we come to Jesus with all our efforts, with all our visions, what he will do will always exceed our expectations if we will submit it and lay it before Jesus. The vision for your marriage, the vision for this church, it pales in comparison to what God wants to do if we will just come to him and lay fully before him. And he heals them for eternity, and I love it. Jesus knows their question, and he's like, oh, you doubting me, but you want to know I'm legit, that I'm the real McCoy? Yo, Tim, show him what's up. And I don't know if Tim, like, if it was like in a movie and he like kind of creaked up, I don't know if he got up and did the Dougie or the Harlem Shake. Like, if I'm him, I'm going crazy. But it says he stands up. But then what does it say? It said Jesus then looked at him. He said, rise, and that was the miracle, right? That's it. That's what we came for, but that's not where Jesus stops. He says, rise, pick up your mat, and go home. Now, if I'm there, I'm like, hey, Jay, Jesus, uh, the dude just learned how to walk. I'll carry the mat, right? We don't have to give him chores already. But, again, just stop and put yourself in the story. Why would Jesus tell him to pick up his own mat? Well, it was as if to say, hey, that thing that represented your ailment, that you thought you needed for comfort, that thing that was your crutch all these years, you don't need it anymore. And so I want you to pick up that thing that was holding you back, that thing that represented all the setbacks in your life, and I want you to walk around carrying it, letting the people know, hey, I don't need this anymore. This isn't a necessity for me because I met Jesus. I don't know what that thing is in your life. Maybe it was a drug addiction. Maybe it was a bad relationship. Maybe it was a habit or a hang-up in the past. But there's something about when we come to Jesus and we get healed and we hold that thing up, not ashamed, but we say, I used to need this, but I don't need it anymore because Christ has set me free. Thank you, sir. But it's a beautiful picture. And imagine people are walking around, they see him, and they're like, that looks like paralyzed Tim. That can't be him. And then they're like, nope, that's that Matt. He always used to lay it. That is him. All of a sudden, the thing that held us back becomes the thing that propels us forward. 
It begs the question today, what's your map? What's your map? In two different ways. What's that thing that you've been hiding or you thought you needed that you need to just get up off of and then use to proclaim God's glory in your life? But I also like to think of it another way. Maybe he said, hey, Tim, rise and pick up your mat and go find somebody else that you need to put on that mat and bring here. That tool that your friends use to get you to Jesus, why don't you go get somebody else? So again, it begs the question, who's your Tim? We all have a Tim. We all have someone we know that needs healing. Maybe relationally, financially, physically, but probably ultimately, like Tim, we know people that need to meet Jesus. Think of them right now. Get them in your mind. Maybe it's Carol at the workplace. Maybe it's Bobby, your teammate. Maybe it's that brother-in-law. And what's funny is whoever that Tim is, I guarantee you probably had the thought, there's no way they would ever come to church. There, it is impossible. There's no way. But when there's no way, when there's opposition, it's just an opportunity to get a little creative. So, so think of your Tim, and here's my challenge for us this week. Get your map. Get your map. What's the first small, simple step you can take with them to get them to church? I, I know. Here's an easy map. Grab an invite card on your way out. Just, just, just invite them. That's a mat in and of itself. Like some of you are like, but they're not going to come. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever. I guarantee you it's worth it. Do whatever it takes to get them to church and get them to Jesus. Here's the deal. I'll give you permission. Next week, if it's packed out, you can put a hole in the roof and lower them down and get them to Jesus. I don't care. We'll raise the money. Praise be to God. Put it in the roof. Some of you think I'm kidding. I'm not. Do it every, like, you're like, but they live so far away. They're like, I live too far away. Tell them, hey, I'll come pick you up. I don't care it's an hour. I'll come pick you up. I don't mind driving two hours because it's worth, some of you are like, like, go to them and go like, hey, I will buy your lunch every day for a month if you come to church with me. Some of you are like, that's a lot of money. It's their soul. It's their eternal resting place that we're talking about. There is nothing more valuable. Whatever it takes. When you take them to lunch, put that invite card in the middle of the patty and don't tell them. They'll bite into it. Like, what's that? Ha ha, you're invited to church. Like, whatever it takes, get creative. I've done it all. I'm telling you, I've done it all. I've told people I'm taking them to a movie. I've lied to them to get them to church. Whatever. Flirt to convert. If they're cute, you know, just bring them. Like, whatever. No. I'm kidding. But I just want to end it like this. We all have a Tim. Let's get our mats. But I, I do want to recognize one more thing. Some of us are hearing this today, and you're going, hey, Corey, that's dope. Like, that sounds great, but you don't understand. I'm Tim. And I just realized today that I've had some friends and family members that have been putting me on mats for a long time. And today I'm hearing that there is a Jesus that loves me and can save me and can heal me. And I need to get up and walk. And if that's you today, I just want to tell you, today's your day for that. Just like Jesus healed Tim, he can heal you today. And it could be eternal healing. Today could be your day to say yes to Jesus and his salvation. Maybe some of the marriages in here, you need healing. Today could be the day where you go, hey, we're just going to put it before you, God. And we want healing in this place. And so let's do this. Can we all just bow our heads and close our eyes? And I just want to pray a blessing over us to finish this time out. God, right now, we're so grateful. God, I'm grateful. I thank you that you actually do heal. And I thank you for the healing that I've experienced in my life. 
Thank you for the healing that we hear about and the ministry we hear about in Ukraine and around this world and around the states and right here in Grand Rapids and right here in this room. And God, right now, I pray if somebody feels like today they're Tim. Honestly, God, we just confess we are, we're all Tim at one time or another. But if somebody here under the sound of my voice or watching online feels like today is their day to be ultimately healed by you, God, I pray that you would give them the courage to tell somebody, to maybe stop by the, the info desk on the way out and just say, hey, I'm Tim. I want to meet Jesus. And God, I thank you that when we do come to you, you always do more because you are a more than Savior. So, Father, I just pray that over every person here, over the local church, God, that this would be a more than type of fall and winter. That, God, we would come to you with our visions. We would get creative no matter what opposition we face. And we would see you change and move and exchange hell for heaven and disease for cure. God, that you would heal and grow in miraculous ways this church and the people around us. God, we pray in expectancy, we pray in faith, and may it be like the guys in that story, because of the faith of local church, people are saved. And God, we thank you that you do that, and we pray it in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.